yes, yes, of course I know it was over a week ago, but it... It still hurts, and my heart goes out to all of the victims and their families. And that's enough said about that. We all know that something has to be done. It's just that we all have no freaking idea what that might be. So, this episode of Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano, features two, actually three people, but two interviews. The first is an interview with a road less traveled worker, <laughs> a road less travel ensemble member working elsewhere, and it is Victoria Perez, who is working down in New York City and has come back home to prepare for her one-woman show with Raices in June at the Road Less Traveled Theater on Main Street. The second interview, which is actually the main interview of the episode, is with a couple of gentlemen who have been recently named the co-executive artistic directors of Buffalo United Artists. And these guys who came out of nowhere, apparently, were named by Javier Bustillos, the founding father of Buffalo United Artists, to take over when he steps back, when he retires. He was a founding father, very successfully operated BUA, but he's taking a step back. So he named Mike Dobin and Rick Latimer to be co-artistic executive directors of BUA. But first, here's Victoria Perez. How are you? You look good. Good to see you. Oh, same here. Same here. Thank you. How long have you been home? You are home, yes? I'm still here. This is week seven. I know the show runs till the what the eighth, I think. The eighth, yep, May eighth. But you're still there. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were home by now. No, because I'm I'm directing two shows here. So the what the heck? The other show I'm directing opens tomorrow. <laughs> oh, well, I guess. <laughs> hey, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. First of all, <laughs> what? Why are you down there? What? Why did you? Uh, did you pursue this? Did they pursue you? Did they hear about the world famous Victoria Perez <laughs> Majolo and said we got to get this babe down here or what? <laughs> Actually, let's start it with this. You're at the you're at the International Theater Arts Institute which is I-A-T-I, yep. and I just translated it poorly, probably, but in, in New York City. In New York City, it's a professional off-Broadway theater company. I think it's been around since like the 60s. 1968, I had to look it up. Yes. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. On and off, yes. they've had, you know, they've had some ups and downs. but Ups and downs, they've moved all over the place. But they're still they're still doing it. And what's your connection to them? Or did you not have one? No, I mean, I knew of them because they're a Latino company. So I knew, you know, I knew of them. But the playwright of the play, Marco Antonio Rodriguez, is kind of like my has become my artistic soulmate. Right. He <laughs> I produced and directed two of his plays in Buffalo with Raices. La Luz del Cigarrillo, which was our second production, which we did in Spanish. And then we also produce Barcelona on the Rocks with Raices. And then, you know, through that collaboration of him just playwright and me, producer, director, we grew very close. We just we just bonded and connected and just admired each other's work. And 
when it came time to him for him to um produce the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde, which is that Pulitzer Prize winning novel from Juno Diaz, Spanish repertory theater here in New York City produced it and he directed it and he brought me as his assistant director. Nice. This was in 2019. And that's where my, my journey to come over here to do work began. And then when it was time to do a production of this show, of Bloom, Iati had done a developmental reading of it prior to the pandemic. And then they, just, they decided to produce it. And that's when Marco, you know, graciously said, if you're going to produce it, I have the director for you. How wonderful. And that's, and that's how it happened. So you've been down. So let's just fill people in, because as I said, this is an RLTP ensemble member at work elsewhere. So you've been down in New York since what, February? Since... Oh my God, whatever seven weeks ago was. <laughs> okay, it's, it's not going to be important. It's not going to be important, but you've been down there a little while. And so you're directing a play called Bloom. And now somehow you are also, what do you said? As long as I'm here, what the heck? Let's do another one. So <laughs> Lehman College, which is a college in the Bronx mm -hmm. with a wonderful theater department. Uh, the director of that department contacted me to direct their fall production in 2019, and we chose Last Days of Judas Iscariot, which okay. I had been in at mm -hmm. Rollers Traveled. Right. I was set to come here to direct it, to come to the campus and direct it. The pandemic happened and we decided to do it online. So we did a complete virtual production of Last Days of Judas Iscariot in 2021. And then after that, he asked me to come back to direct once again, this so this show that I'm directing right now at Lehman College was be, was booked. I booked it way before Bloom. Oh, it just so happened. A happy coincidence. It's a happy coincidence. When Bloom called, I said, I think I can actually make that work because I'll be there. You know, the only thing is that for three weeks I was doing both shows at once. So that was <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, where are you staying down there? Do you have friends and relatives? Yeah. I, well, I. Half of the time I stayed with the playwright with Marco Antonio in okay. Manhattan. And then now I have a little place in uh, in the Bronx. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. So tell, let me ask you a question about this now. What's unusual or what's different about directing theater in New York City? Or is there or is it theaters just theater everywhere you go? Theater is just theater everywhere <laughs> you go. I mean, the one thing that's hugely different, obviously, is transportation. Oh. I mean, people don't even think about it, or I don't even know if people think about it, but, you know, in Buffalo, you get in your car and you go. Right. Right? In New York City, transportation is something that if you're not used to it, it's just, it, it's, it's shocking, you know, the <laughs> fact that... <laughs> the subway system is insane. Well, it's the amount of time that it takes to get places. Like, ah. you know, you spend like, just like I hear of people that live in big, big cities where you're in your car most of the day. It's the same thing, but you're on a train or you're mm -hmm. walking. So it takes me an hour and a half to get from the Bronx where I'm living to get to Manhattan, to the theater. So that's, that's been like oh. the hard part about it, the the traveling it's that always like, has to be figured into your into your day's plan okay we have to be at the theater at 6 30 so we have to start thinking about that at noon <laughs> exactly exactly where we're in places like buffalo like you can fill up every minute of the day with with stuff that you're doing but here right. you're filling up almost four hours of your day with traveling 
Oh, that yeah, that's a shame. So, did, did you pick up any tips about uh, you know theater and directing while you're down there in the Big Apple, where all the big <laughs> shots are? Well, you know, it's um, it's a different world, right? When you work with the caliber of actors that that I have worked with in New York City, and of course, it's something that's it brings so much joy to my heart to see these Latino actors, sure, who are so experienced and so committed to the craft and are here hustling, right? And it's something that, you know, you don't get to see in small towns like Buffalo or smaller towns, because Buffalo is not a small town. It's smaller than New York City. Sure. So working with that caliber is always just, it, it makes you a better director. It makes me a better, I think. It stretches me as a, as a director and as a storyteller. You have to be on top of your game. On top of my game. But it's also wonderful to, to see how... I can contribute to their craft, which is something that you don't think about, right? You always have this idea of New York City being like this, you know, the mecca of theater, but it's really all the same. And you hope that you'll have something to contribute. I know the first time I directed in Buffalo and I had directed in the, in the suburbs and so on, that was same question came to me, the caliber of actors that I'm going to have to work with, will I have something to offer? And the, the answer is I, I always had something to say. Always, always, <laughs> and you always. do too, because you're you're the eyeballs looking on the that they can't see things that you, that you see as as the yeah. outside view. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. That's that's cool. So, is this going to be the end for you in New York? I mean, for this particular round of things, when you finish directing at the at the college level, uh, you're coming home. I'm coming home. I come home in a few days. Oh, the the college show opens tomorrow, which is a devised show. We created a, an original piece in five weeks. Oh, my goodness. So that opens tomorrow. And then I'm back home. But, you know, New York City has always been on the horizon, right? It's yes. always the goal. Sure. So, you know, I'm older now. And, and you I'm got some really home. nice reviews for Bloom anyway. It's a wonderful play. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a play that I wish, you know, I wish everyone could see, obviously, because it really Can is just beautifully written. Can you just tell married. us just tell us a little bit about the play? I mean, I read about it, but let me hear what you have to say about it. It's a queer young man I see. with his mother. He They live in, you know, a not-so-distant future, so we don't know where they're living, what time it is. Mm -hmm. It's probably a universal... Exactly. ...universal story, yes. It is. He commits a sh shameful act. He is caught, and he is taken to prison. He is tortured and then brought back home for the mom to decide... What are you going to do with this so that we don't have this shameful being as part of our society? And she's given an hour to decide whether she's going to kill him or the government will kill the whole family. Wow. That that yeah. sounds incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, it must have been. Had you read it before? You just knew the play, right? No, I... I read it when when the artistic director came to me and said, hey, we, uh, we're going to produce Bloom. We'd like you to direct it. I immediately texted Marco. I said, okay, I'm being asked to direct your play. Can I read it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd yeah. love to come down there, but maybe I ought to be aware of what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Now, what can you tell me about what Raices has coming up in the future? Yeah, so we're doing a one-woman show. Who's the who's the woman? <laughs> Starting me. <laughs> this is why I need to talk to someone else. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. We had planned to do another musical as our comeback 
mm-hmm. and as our first shirt, Rollis traveled and, you know, it was a very hard decision, but we decided that it just wasn't the right timing. We weren't ready for a musical of that size. And we had just done the cabaret show that I did at Pausa Art House, which was, you know, fully written with music and poetry and storytelling. And we said, we might have a show here. <laughs> if we cancel the one, if we don't do the one that we're planning on doing, you know, what do we do? And then we all looked around and I said, oh, we actually have a show. So that's, we went all in. We're going to do a one-woman show based on based on my story of coming here from Puerto Rico and my artistic formation here and how the island and how my traditions and my culture have formed. What a great idea. Formed who I am. Yeah. What a great idea. Uh, it's scary. It's scary because I don't like to put myself myself forward like that. I think my my mission in life is to develop other artists, but my sister is now the managing director of Raices and she is completely championing this and I am following her lead. Mm-hmm. She believes that it could happen. She believes in it. it's an interesting story. So so we're doing it. I'm going all in. I'm 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 taking that jump. I'm leaping and I'm saying, okay, let's do it. We have a live band on stage and it'll be just me and I'll be turning into different characters and storytelling oh. and doing poetry and singing. But my God, you you have you got it all I mean th- we're talking this July, correct? June. 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 Oh my God, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I come back. I come back from from New York City and I start rehearsals. You better get going. Yes. So, is it yeah. all written out? Is it all planned out? Yeah. God bless you. That that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I saw you. I saw you in the in the other one woman show over at the ICTC. So that's not what scares you. What scares you is that this is your life. It's my life. I mean, wow. this will mark my my fourth. I've done three one woman shows already. Mm-hmm. So this will be my fourth one. So like you said, that's not the part that scares me. It's the part that I'm going to be talking about myself. And that's a little scary. But oh, whatever yeah. scares you, you must do, right? Absolutely. <laughs> what doesn't scare you doesn't make you any stronger. You have to, exactly. you have to keep it. Well, listen, exactly. dear, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Peter. I love you. I, I can't wait to love see the you. show. When you come back to town, travel safely. And and best of luck with the sh- with that show down there at the college. Thank you. I'm sure it'll be great. Good luck to you anyway. Thank you so much. It's always it's always awesome talking. Take care, dear. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye bye. Victoria Perez, what a talented woman. What a busy woman. She's busy because she's talented. You'll get a chance to see her in her one woman show in June. But in the meantime, let's talk to Mike Dobin and Rick Latimer, the co-artistic directors at Buffalo United Artists. Now, I need to tell you that when we recorded this, Mike had a tremendous cold, so his voice is like this. And then I decided I was going to put one in the left ear, and that's uh, Rick, and one in the right ear. But honestly, you don't even need to know that because you'll know right away when Mike is talking because he's talking like this. Here on our LTPs Off Road. Welcome to Off Road. Thank you. You know, when I first heard that you guys were taking over at BUA, and first of all, let's let's just clarify this: Are your titles officially? Are you co-artistic directors, or is there a, a different kind of division of labor? 
Yes, that's the Division of Labor co-artistic directors. <laughs> that's oh, so the Division of Labor is just uh, we're we're splitting it in half. But is is something like, for example, maybe Rick's the the uh, the financial guy, and Mike is the construction guy. I don't know. I'm just. I think both of those are fall under Mike's Mike's labels. He's the builder. He was the builder before so when we what, were doing when we were working at Subversive. <laughs> so, so what the heck do you do, Rick? I just, what do I do, Mike? I just, I, I, I talk to people. I'm like, <laughs> just, I guess that's what I do. What, what do you bring I, um, to the table here? <laughs> I, well, I think I just, we just, I just text Mike and I was like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And we just kind of like go about it. We just, it's a lot of just conversations and, you know, re looking at scripts or looking at stories or kind of just like getting like the, the nuts and the bolts done sometimes, you know, like, going to meet with the theater owners, talking to the potential directors, mm -hmm. you know, scoping out actors for potential projects. But we both do that as well, so. Sure. I would say he's, Rick, you know, you're, you're better in the room when we're talking to different people about different things from more from like a business side. It's like, okay, you know, I could see somebody might be trying to push us in a certain direction and <laughs> I won't recognize that. And Rick will be like, oh, no, I see what you're doing here. And He'll take you, you aside know, and no. say, uh, hey, Mike, you know, this guy's trying to, uh, take us for a ride here. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a very, it, it's funny because we have a very symbiotic relationship in the sense that if, if I send an email out, it's, I'm pretty sure that it's probably like, it might say my name at the bottom, but we both signed off on it mm -hmm. sort of thing. <laughs> and that goes for almost anything. And of course, I'm, I'm just teasing you because the best thing about a partnership is that you have somebody to bounce ideas off of and you have somebody that how long ago did you get have you guys been friends a while where did this personal partnership all start you want to take this one rick i remember we met on a production of subversive was doing at judgment of nuremberg that they were doing at the phoenix okay i remember that i think i first met mike when i was at walking out of an la fitness and he had met me there to give me like the script and that's when we first started talking and just kind of hanging out. And then my memory's a little foggy, but I, I want to say there was one day when we were at the old Nye Tavern where I was just like, do you want to develop like a play and pitch it to Subversive if they need, um, if they're short on a season? And Mike was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how it kind of go. And as we started to talking, we, we found that we both had a really like love of doing like dystopian theater, like futuristic dystopian bleak theater that was kind of like hard edge. Which, by the way, I loved. I loved Firefox. Fox Finder. Fox Finder. Yes, Fox Finder. Thank you. I loved it. It was great. Thank you. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. We went to Subversive with a pitch for um, a dystopian play, and then they came back to us with a different one. And then we were kind of given the option, like, who would do what? And we suggested that Mike directed and I would play the lead. And they 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 went with that. Uh, Gary O'Ross also helped co-direct it. And then it just started just kind of started snowballing from there. We went from Fahrenheit to then we worked on Mercury Fur. And then we then we jumped into um, Kiss the Spider Woman together. Although Mike was the stage manager for that, but it just kind of, that's our working relationship. And then we went from Spider Woman to Fox Finder. And now here we are. So you guys, this has not been a like a years and years and years. You're not like childhood friends or anything. This is really fairly recent. We're talking four or five years, maybe? Yeah. Wow. I'd say so. Yeah, I think we met in 2016. And you sort of realized right away that you had a, maybe not, you know, personal similarities, but you had similar interests and similar ideas for your own future? Well, my, 
my thing was was that I felt like I was a tadpole in a very big pond because <laughs> I started I started in theater with Judgment at Nuremberg and you know as he just said I was running him a script at LA Fitness so I was basically <laughs> like Kurt's production assistant essentially trying to get this project off the ground and when I met Rick I was like okay well this cast has a lot of uh older folks that are established that I don't really know. And I was like, and now I'm meeting this guy who looks to be my age. And uh, let's, yeah, <laughs> I'm older. Let's, I know. But I was like, Hey, this guy's like my age. Let's start talking a little bit. And I, so I gravitated towards Rick on set and stuff like that. Are you both at least, well, let's start with you, Mike, since I, you're up on my screen right this second. Are you both local guys starting out? Did you go to school here or what's, what's your background, Mike? Where'd you come from? So I grew up here in uh, Kenmore, New York, mm -hmm. grew up a little bit on the West side with my grandparents. And, uh, because I have a single, I come from a single family, a mm -hmm. single, single parent, single mother. And yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Did you go to Kenmore West? I went to St. Joe's. Oh, St. Joe's. Okay. Good theater program there. Yeah. I actually never did any theater at St. Joe's, believe it or not. I found my way in a theater in college, actually. Where was that? Canisius College. So that's my alma mater. Yes. Fellow <laughs> alum. I kind of fell into theater because I believe it or not, I've met Kurt Schneiderman. I took his playwriting class in conjunction with me getting my English degree. Interesting. And I loved, I just fell in love with scripts immediately. I remember reading in his class, Angels in America, Tony Kushner, and just being blown away by like some of the simultaneous scenes that are written wow. in that show. And that one really kind of grabbed a hold of me and I was like, I could see it all in my head, mm. you know, on the page. Cause I'm a very, I'm a very visual person. Mm -hmm. I, I love film. And so this was kind of an awakening for me. And I remember then he showed me a film adaptation of Killer Joe, the one with Matthew McConaughey. Oh yes. I remember that. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I was like, you can get away with this stuff in theater <laughs> <laughs> and it won a Pulitzer and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I thought this was all safe and, you know, wicked and musicals and all that, you know, Phantom of the Opera. I, oh, I, wow. I didn't realize the other side of it. So that's why you can kind of see where I went with it when I got a hold of it, you know, Mercury Fur and Fox Finder. <laughs> you approached it through the, through the script. I mean, you're the appeal for you was through the written word, through the script, through the... Because I love analysis. I taught English for 30 years. So you're telling me that your the appeal of theater to you was not the uh, spectacle of it. It was the literature of it. Is that how it started, at least? Yes. Yes, I would say so. So then wh where did you take it from there? So then I... That was when I started working on a little bit of my own playwriting. I tried to go that avenue right after I... I got out of school. I explored pursuing an MFA in uh, playwriting, screenwriting. It wasn't meant to be in terms of the timing. I think mm -hmm. if I went and tried to revisit that now, I would stand a better chance. But I was kind of naive and fresh out of school and yeah. wanted to just keep going with school. I think part of that is the contagious environment around me. A lot of my friends were finished up with school. Now we're going to go to law school. Now we're going to go to med school. And so I kind of <laughs> got caught up at that. Like, oh, I'm in this space where I don't know what I want to do. And then 
I got a call from Kurt and he said, Hey, I want you to work with me on judgment at Nuremberg. And it was sort of this very loose role where I was able to just kind of take it all in. And I really appreciated it because I was working with so many established actors in town Mm -hmm. that long-term, I don't know if I'd be where I am right now, if I didn't have the exact path that I was on. Is that where you picked up on directing or where you sort of absorbed the the style or skills that you went on to then use later on in things like Fox Finder and so on? I think it's a combination of Judgment at Nuremberg and being almost a chameleon on that production. Now, Rick, were you also, I, I'm sorry, did you sit, was mm-hmm. Rick in, in that show? Rick was <laughs> yeah. a Judgment at Nuremberg. Yeah. He had his tonsils taken out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you don't need yeah, your tonsils I, to talk. It's all right. I played an MP officer, so I, I stood next to the uh, the juror box for the entire show. <laughs> I've done shows like that. Sure. It's like, we need you in this role. And I was like, great. And he's like, your lines are, you don't have to learn any lines, so just stand there <laughs> <laughs> for two and a half hours, maybe three. Oh, man, that's, that is brutal. But I'm sure, I'm sure it was an important role, even though, you know. As they say, no, no, uh, no small roles. Well, I'm in, I'm in all the uh, the, uh, the publicity photos in the back, so that worked. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's actually, Rick. Well, let's talk about you first. Were you a local guy too? I I'm from Hamburg originally. Hey, um, that's where I am right this minute. I'll be there later today. Gonna go bet okay. on the Derby in a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that. That's another thing you asked earlier about me and Mike. You know, it's I was going to just say jokingly, but it's true. Like, we do have a lot. Like, sports is something that we we connect with on a lot, too. You know, Bill's fantasy football is a big thing, too, between us. So, cool. you know, if we ever disagree on theater, we can always disagree on, you know, how good <laughs> Lamar Jackson is. So. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, I would say, yes, I'm from Hamburg. I went to Buff State for theater. Mm-hmm. And then after graduating Buff State, I and I moved with um, several of my friends who are from New York City, and I went to toil around New York for a while. Ironically, I actually got involved in kind of like a BUA company out in New York City. They're called DJM Productions. I did a few shows for them, and then I just kind of fell out of theater for a while. I just was doing other things, and then I moved back to Buffalo. But you actually went to Buff. Well, where did your theater interest start? Were you at Hamburg High School or Frontier, whichever one you went to? Because you actually went to college to Buff State for theater, yes or no? Yes. So where'd the interest come from? So I probably would give the credit to my grandmother. She would take me to Toronto when I was a lot younger to see, like, the shows uh, in, in Toronto. And I was, I think I saw phantom for the first time when i was like seven with colm wilkinson and he's fantastic and then she took me to see like beauty and the beast up there joseph with donnie osmond and and i don't sing but i just loved the i just loved the energy of of the theater and i just never had the courage to audition for anything in elementary school or high school i did nothing theatrically well then how did you end up saying i think i'm gonna go to buff state for theater with no no background or no (laughs) just heavy i mean I'll, I'll tell you, I took my daughter to see Colm Wilkinson and in Toronto to, yeah. to the Phantom. She grew up with, you know, when her father's in theater, and she grew up with no interest in theater, really. I mean, she loves attending it. But you, with nothing more than some visitations to the Pantages Theater. Yep, that's right. All of a sudden you say, I'm going to go to college in, for theater? Is that how that worked? I took um, an acting one class with um, Jerry Trentham. And it just blew my mind. It just, it just, 
it unlocked, I guess, some things where like suddenly I was just doing things in the class that I was like instinctually they just they just kind of unlocked something in me when it came to acting. I just felt like that's fascinating. Yeah, it was like it was like I looked at these scripts and I was just I just could feel what needed to happen and like the pictures I wanted to create and just being able to listen. And it just it just kind of took off from there. So then when they had the auditions for the first show that they were doing Romeo and Juliet, I had taken one acting class and I went in and I auditioned for Romeo and Juliet and I didn't know what to do. So I wrote <laughs> down my lines on a prop. I, I took I took the skull from um, York from Hamlet. Yes. Because I had read that Brando had more spontaneity by reading his lines and not learning them. <laughs> I was 19. So what did I know? And I would, I went into the audition. I just pulled out the skull and I did the audition. And then, you know, that I got, I got cast as, as Romeo in the first show by Drew Kahn. And then it just kind of, it went from there. So, yeah. All of a sudden you discover, Holy cow, I can do this. Yeah. And you had no other family history of theater. Nobody else in your family does things like that. No. Yeah. How about all. you, Mike? Anybody else in your family interested in theater? Or are you the lone wolf there also? Lone wolf as well. That is really interesting. I mean, I mean, it shouldn't shouldn't surprise me. I, uh, my parents never, you know, they, they would attend theater. My father would attend theater grudgingly when my mother dragged him along. So my, my story is similar. So let me, let me ask you this. What other theater experiences in Buffalo have have either of you had, I mean, for a short while, you had 1666 productions. Mm -hmm. Am I correct, Mike? Yes. You, you had that. And I, I imagine that's if, at least on hold now or, or have been um, suspended operations for a while. Yeah. But what other theater experiences have you guys, at Rick or you, where else have you worked around town? I started at Subversive, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. and I worked there in the capacity of stage manager and production manager and i i sort of did a little bit of everything at subversive and that was kind of my way to learn so much about each entity and each technical element of theater like i i did some lights i designed the set for i wasn't credited as the set designer mm -hmm. but i was the set designer for the full monty <laughs> okay <laughs> That's somehow the best way, though, because you, you, being a jack of all trades, you learn, you know, on the fly, but learn by doing and learn by observing, observing others. So when you're when you're doing a little of everything, you're learning a little of everything. I ended up at Road Less Traveled because I was stage managing It Can't Happen Here at Subversive. And Sam Crystal was stage managing The Nether at Road mm -hmm. Less, and she was in my cast, and that was the next show at Road Less. And she said, I'm going to ask Scott if if I could bring you in as the assistant stage manager. Gotcha. And, and that's how I ended up with, at Road Less Traveled. So it's just funny how, I don't know, it's almost a series of just random, you know, moments in time that you meet a certain person and something happens and you jump on to the next thing and they remember you down the line they they recommend you that's interesting that's why it's always best to you know to put your best foot forward always be on time always be prepared because then then there comes a time when it's like hey get this mike dobin guy he always shows up he always is on time he always knows what he's doing and i was just gonna say the only thing i was gonna add was that i i think that one of the things that i love about theater is is the collaboration of it plain and simple like you don't always have to know everything and it's like that's the, the amazing thing about it is mm -hmm. you can freely admit that 
you don't know how to do something, but yes. then there's someone else who can do it with you. And it's like, that's the synergy of like the creative synergy that I like thrive on. That's very cool. You just can say to somebody, you know, anybody knows how to do this. Oh yeah. I know somebody he can do this. And then very cool. What about you, Rick? What are your other experiences around town? Well, when I came back from New York, I kind of, I <laughs> gave up theater I, for a while. You said I did. And then I, I saw the auditions for tab and I, I was like, I'm going to go. And I went to, I, I, I learned a monologue. I felt really confident. I walked into tab and then like I turned white and I made up some lies that I have an emergency. <laughs> I have to leave. Can I come back tomorrow? So I left and I was going to, and then I was going to come back the next day. And then I was at a bar with my friends at trivia night. And they're like, you got to go to your, your tab audition. And I was like, you know, I don't want to, I'll do it next year. <laughs> so a week goes by and then all of a sudden I get an email from Javier and he goes, is this the same Rick Latimer who did a few plays for us like eight, 10 years ago? Cause I had done two shows for BUA with Chris Kelly right after college. So it's like 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And I go, yeah, that's me. And he's like, come in and read a part. I go, okay. I, you know, I didn't go to tab. And he's like, yeah, that's okay. Come in and read the part anyway. So I came in, I read the part with, um, it was a play that Matt Higgins had wrote. Um, no, he didn't, he didn't write it, but he was kind of like spearheading it, um, called Harbor and I got the role. And then like what Mike said earlier, it is kind of like a, a piggyback system off of each other, off a show. Like I saw, I did that show and then I met Drew McCabe and then Drew McCabe cast me in a play called house of blue leaves that we did with art. And then that's when I started to meet other people. So I've worked at art a little bit compass. I've worked, um, I worked at the, you know, subversive, and then knowing Chris Kelly, I ended up working a toy for Jungle Book. And then, you know, I started, we started to do a lot of some work at New Phoenix too with Kiss of the Spider Woman. And a little bit further outside of Buffalo, I work um, at Aurora Players. I, I helped develop the, uh, the outdoor summer shows oh, cool. for them. And I'm directing, I'm co-directing Sleepy Hollow this summer outside for them. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, I, I've had some experience with Aurora Players. I was with Hamburg Little Theater for many years, so I'm very oh. familiar with the community theater, and they've got a great, mm -hmm. great organization out there. I guess we finally have to get into the real question is, how did the heck did all of this happen? What made Javier approach you, you two, and say, hmm, uh, here we have Buffalo United Artists, well known for LGBT, so on, sorts of plays. Let's get these two guys. How the heck did that happen? Who wants to feel that question? <laughs> I'll take this one. Okay. So I'll say if I had to boil it down to, if I had to boil it down to one reason why I think Javier uh, asked us to take over BUA, I would say it was Mercury Fur. Ah. Uh, yeah. He was effusive in his praise of the production. and Many people were. Great reviews, too. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. And and not only that, but just the I think the courage and the bravery of taking on a very heavy and controversial in some ways piece, mm -hmm. um, and kind of bringing it to a Buffalo stage. Yes, it was in a lot of ways. It was a show that I think was the first of its kind around here, and I think that. Could you stop for a second and just tell me this, Mike? What? What was there about Mercury Fur for people who didn't see it or didn't read about it? What was there about it that made it so groundbreaking? So Mercury Fur is a play that was written in uh, the 90s by uh, Philip Ridley. It's an in-your-face theater piece. Uh, it comes from that, which is a 
in your face theater is a term that was coined by uh, Alex Sears, who is a British uh, theater critic. And he said that in your face theater is a type of theater that is meant to provoke and to, to draw out the most extreme emotions in the viewer. Mm. And an example of that for people who might be familiar with other playwrights is Sarah Kane comes from the in-your-face theater mold. And there's not too many of these types of artists, to be honest. And I think that in a lot of ways, uh, what I originally wanted was to have like British theater be a niche that I fell into. And that's how I ended up doing like Foxfinder. But if to boil it down, like Mercury Fur is a play about a bunch of teenagers who uh, consume butterflies that are dropped on their cities and they make them hallucinate and lose their memories and commit violent acts against each other. And what devolves is a society where no one knows their connections to each other. They just know about what the butterflies do to them and how intoxicating it is to commit acts of violence against each other and try to survive. So again, it's a very dystopian, sort of futuristic, as you said, controversial, but and courageous to put it on the stage and say, yeah, maybe people will come and see this. I was just going to add that I think Mercury Fur, yeah, that definitely was that definitely was a huge factor in it. But two, I think that kind of kicked off something that flowed into COVID, where with 1666, we were we were very active throughout the COVID experience. And I, I we never asked him this, but like we did two virtual theater productions. We did a full production, a full theatrical production virtually of Foxfinder. And we were also involved in the 48-hour film challenge. And I just think like in some way we just kind of put the energy out there that we You're gonna persist. You're you're gonna persist. You're going to keep hacking at it. You're going to keep working at it. We found creative solutions to very difficult problems and situations. I mean, one of the things that I said to Rick was when the pandemic was first starting, and I will preface what I'm about to say by saying that it does take some degree of privilege to do what we did. And that is like, we're healthy enough to mm. take the risks I see. required. And we have to acknowledge that up front. We were in a situation where like there's a lot of people who might be pre like uh predisposed is if that's the correct word. That's the word, yeah. Predisposed to, you know, severe illness from COVID. And luckily we aren't falling in that group. So I think what we were able to do is really get out there and try and come up with stuff and be disaster capitalists in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like there's nobody doing anything. If we can find a creative way to do something that would go a long way. Mm -hmm. And I think people need this stuff. Like National Theater Live had just started coming out like with all of the online stuff. And that was kind of an inspiration for us where we were like, why can't we film a production like in a closed set? And I think just going about that sh showed in, in some way the energy how that we were capable of together managing, creating, and, and basically tackling all different avenues of um, of multiple productions in multiple different mediums. So if I can sort of sum it up, you guys had the youth, you had the energy, you had the health. Well, you didn't have a big financial risk involved. Would that be fair? Not a lot to lose? Well, not a lot to lose. Okay, well, we started off with, um, 
we we went to the public domain. I mean, we did Poe. Mm-hmm. So right. And I mean that you no know, no one's banging on our door, being like, "Where's our cut of you doing adaptions of Poe work?" <laughs> so, and you know, we I think we were smart about it. We 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 looked at doing these Poe works, and then we put them into some festivals, and we we won an award for one of the Poes that we did. See, the thing with Foxfinder was that was always supposed to be a live production. Yes. Because going back to Mercury Fur, Richard Lambert fell in love with Mercury Fur. And, you know, we sat down. I remember being at the Phoenix talking to Richard. I think Mike and I were there and Richard was on speaker, which is interesting how that works because he's the one. It's his building, but we were there. And he, well, anyway, <laughs> but I remember him being like, what do you guys got? And I remember we saying Fox Finder, let's do it live. And right up until I'd say December of what would that have been, Mike, 2020? Yeah, we we were going to do it live. We were going to do a, a full production for an audience. Sure, I understand. Yes, for Foxfinder, and then it just you know the the codes changed in Western New York. We went from orange to I think red, and it didn't yeah. seem feasible. But we didn't want to let it go because we had. I mean, it was such a heartbreak to lose Kiss of the Spider Woman. Oh. Um, just th- that previous you know so much time and effort went into that production, and we only did two performances of it. And there's other people, you know, I was just talking to our friend, Lucas Colon. He was telling, I was talking to him last night about The Outsiders. They had one production and, you know, they filmed it too. So we just wanted to do it. And and it was filmed beautifully too. You were, I'm talking right. about Fox Finder. But, but like Richard, Richard was willing to trust us. He was willing to invest in us. And that showed tremendous trust and support. And, you know, we'll be forever grateful for everything that he did for us during that, that COVID period. I, I don't think we would be here without, without his, um, his faith mm-hmm. was 1666 productions. Was that the first time the two of you sort of worked as a team or was that, was that whole thing a Dobin Latimer creation? Um, and Shelby Converse too. And Shelby. Okay. Yes. Yes. But the three of you were, were involved in that, right? From, that was the first time you were working together. Fahrenheit 451 was kind of the first time that me and Mike kind of worked at like, that was the time when we started to be like, I, as an actor, I was kind of done just like showing up and just like being an actor. I wanted more creative control I see. on the projects that I was going to be in. And I don't know like where that would put me in other people's minds of like, can you work with him? I yes. hope so. <laughs> but like, I just didn't want to just show up and just take my marching orders. I wanted to be an actor slash producer involved yes. in the productions. And yes. that's one of the things that me and Mike really connected with to go all the way back to your first thing. He's totally open to collaboration. Like, we're the ones who like went to look for like a lot of the costumes for Fahrenheit. We're the ones who like designed the sets, developed a lot of the tech you saw on this show. And then that just carried over into other shows. And then we brought, and then Shelby came on board for Mercury Fur. So, you know, I remember when we were talking about Mercury Fur, you know, Mike would be there and then I was in California and then they would send me like the videos of the rehearsals. And then we would all talk afterwards and be like, well, maybe this needs to happen. Maybe that needs to happen. You know, just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. And then it became 1666 officially. I see, I see. So we were working in a collaborative process before, and then it officially became 1666 for the Edgar Allan Poe virtual adaptions. So this sort of answers the question, which is my next question, is when Javier came to you, he came to you as as a team. In other words, he didn't approach Mike and say, Mike, are you interested in doing this with BUA? And Mike said, yeah, but I'm a, I've got to do it with Rick as well. It, he sort of approached, you know what? I'm just putting words in your mouth. Why don't you tell me how it happened? Did, did Javier come to the two of you and say, 
I, I want this team to take over or, or tell me how it worked. Javier said Mike's going to take over, but I guess we got to let Rick kind of be involved too for some reason because he's already he's in he's in the group, so we got to let him in. So uh, no, that's what he like. He likes to pull my chain on that. I don't know. I don't know how it. I, all I remember is this, Pete. I was at matinee. I was at the bar, and Javier comes over. He puts his arm around me, and he goes, "How would you like to be co-artistic director of Buffalo United Artists?" And I looked at him. I go, "Wait, what, what did you say?" <laughs> and I was like, "Is this just is this just this normal matinee three in the morning talk? Yes. Or what's going on here?" <laughs> and Mike, what's your memory of it? Because I'm sure it's exactly the same. I was about to say it is exactly the same. <laughs> no, he uh, he came up to me and he said. Oh, it's going to be you and Rick, you and Rick. Okay, you guys are a couple, right? You guys are a couple. So it's mm-hmm. like, that'll, that'll work. You guys are a couple. Oh, how interesting. So he he knew you were paired up as production partners. Yes. And he said to you, okay, you guys are you, you guys are the team I want to take over BUA. That seemed yeah. pretty accurate? I think that's it. And then I think within like a week and a half, there we were, Monday night at Mother's, kind of discussing like the particulars of well you know it was important that we kind of got how we could how we felt we could help mm-hmm. go forward and what we saw is, was viable because there were there were just certain things that we needed to make sure that we said so that way if we did take over that there wasn't any like down the road like well, why are you doing it this way or what is what is going on we wanted to make sure that he knew exactly where we were coming from and he had he gave his support to it so that was that did he ask you will you maintain the the vision of BUA the vision being in my mind first of all they're an independent theater company which is fairly unique in buffalo they don't have a theater they work out of a theater they work out of various different theaters and have through the years but they're also very thematically Everybody knows what BUA stands for. It didn't start that way, but what it is now is it's a predominant, as I said, LGBTQA, whatever. It's that particular niche in the Buffalo theater scene. Did he say to you, will you maintain this? Maintain, but also expand. Oh, okay. Because, well, Michael, you can go ahead because we talked about this. Yeah, that's specifically what we sort of outlined to Javier it was our vision that we felt we wanted to expand upon the mission statement. Yes, the mission statement will remain intact, but we also want to expand on it. What we mean by that is we felt that BUA has long catered to a very rigid audience of like between 30 and 60s uh, white gay men audience. Mm-hmm. And what we really want to do is expand that audience. And that means bringing in the younger people, especially from like the college age queer communities. Mm -hmm. And what is clear is that there is a larger spectrum of of queerness that is not limited to just being a uh, just being a gay man. I see. So what we said to Javier was we want to do shows with uh with lesbians we want to do shows about asexual individuals pansexual individuals trans people you know really queer life in general queer life in in a broad spectrum exactly broad spectrum and not focus on like sexual orientation because one of the things that i was reading i've been i've been reading more queer theory and one of the first things in the introduction of the book is that they say that a lot of people pigeonhole being queer as your sexual orientation 
when that is not the case. It is a broad spectrum that includes a large range of things. Mm -hmm. And so what we really want to focus on with BUA moving forward is exploring the spectrum of queerness, not mm -hmm. remain narrowly focused. I see. And that was something that he was, that you presented to him or that he suggested to you? Or did, in other words, did he say, what, what would you guys bring to the table? What would you maintain about BUA? And what would you expand about BUA? Is that, you, you know, when, when he's, when we, when we brought it to him, it almost felt to me that like, that's what he had been thinking. I see. And like, he just didn't, it's like, in a way it was like, we said it and he, he was like, yes. But the way that he talked about it made it seem like maybe that's what he wanted all along anyway. I see. So, I don't know. Yeah, but bringing in, again, I hate to keep harping on your youth and energy. It takes youth and energy to explore these new realms and to, to, to read all of these new plays. And to, as Mike was just saying, he was reading a book about queer theory and so on. It takes youth and energy and, and a willingness to pursue this, not just this market, but this whole philosophical realm of theater. It, it takes a, a willingness to want to go there. Yeah. And listening. Listening's always the, you know, for an actor, mm -hmm. listening is always the most important. Now for Carlo artistic directors, listening to what's happening in your culture, listening to the people that you work with and just, just keeping an open mind and just all the doors are open to always, you know, have the courage to explore all the avenues that, you know, that our, that our theater company can explore now. Do you guys, I know that you're working out of uh, the alleyway, or at least that was what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Is that relationship going to continue in the future, or do we know yet? Alley of the Dolls, which will be our uh, summer camp show with uh, that was adapted by Jimmy Janowski, mm -hmm. that will be happening at Alleyway beginning in July. Okay. So we're excited about that production. That's on the main um, stage, on the main stage at Alleyway, not the yep. cabaret space. Okay. Yes, it'll be, uh, yep. And for the fall, we currently are working with James Sahaki to secure space at the Ascension for the Arts Church space on Linwood Avenue. Oh. So that's what we're looking at as our uh, home for at least our fall show. Our, our yeah. Kurt, well, not curtain up, but our debut show for 22-23 season. I see. There was um, a scheduling um, situation with Alleyway where um, we would we were not able to have the space in the fall, so we had to make a decision: either we just don't do a fall show, or we you know start looking elsewhere. So you know, sure. me and Mike the alleyway, hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, they have a full schedule of shows. You'd mm -hmm. have to work in between their shows, right? And and that doesn't always work out well. And, and that, I think that's... yeah, I think something with their cast pushed their original. Show show back and then that kind of you know it's like a domino effect right one show yeah. gets pushed back and then everything has to adjust and we just weren't prepared to just lose the momentum from our summer show and then just not have another show until 2023 we've been gone long enough like over yeah. two years so sure. we wanted to just keep having our normal slots so you know we're excited to be doing though with james and all of them over there if i'm hearing you correctly you might continue with the alleyway like other shows later on, but for now, just this first show will be at the Ascension Theater. I think it'll have to be, it'll have to be, um, sometimes it'll be play specific, mm -hmm. you know, mm. like the first, like the first show we're doing, well, the second show, the one in the fall, it's a two-hander. Yes. You know, I don't know if we need the main stage. I understand. For a two-hander, it's an intimate piece. 
Okay. It's a very intimate piece. And, you know, I think, I think the main stage for, you know, uh, a, a BUA summer camp show is perfect because they've had such success there with um, silence and Cleopatra and, um, you know, shows in the past, but um, it, it'll probably be play dependent sometimes. And, you know, we're always looking, we're always keeping our options open for where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that I think that one of our strong suits between Rick and myself is what we've built up a decent amount of goodwill in the community amongst everyone from stage managers to actors to directors, artistic directors. I think that we're familiar faces and people know what we're about and that we're passionate and what we're doing is uh, good work. And therefore that's why I think that we are trying to maintain like a fluidity where it's not like, Oh, we're never going to work there mm-hmm. or, you know, we're always going to work here. You haven't pissed anybody off yet. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I hope not. I hope not. To our faces, no. Who knows? No, you have a pretty good reputation. (laughs) Well, listen, do do you envision any any other changes at BUA that we should look forward to? So... Anything that you two guys have talked over and you said, well, I'll tell you one thing. Once we get a hold of, uh, get our hands on this company, we're going to do this. You've already explained some things, but uh, any major changes? We are working currently to build a advisory board. And that's something we're very excited about. Um, we, we've been very caught up lately in uh, trying to figure out venues for shows and get contracts sorted out and get stuff off the ground that we haven't gotten there yet. But um, we secured a grant through ASI, uh, Art Services Initiative, uh, mm-hmm. Give for Greatness grant. And that grant was on the stipulation that we expand the number of people who work at BUA and considering that on a I guess technically the the individuals who work at BUA would only be Rick myself and Javier so the idea of kind of bringing in more people and people that can help us and do community outreach and stuff like that that's a very appealing idea and so we're going to use we're going to use some funds that we secured from uh, from ASI to build a like a one year contract advisory board. So about four to five individuals, range of individuals. Yeah, a range of abilities, a range of of yeah informational input that they can give to you and so on. Yeah, it's almost like in in a way, it's almost like ensemble, but like bringing in people who can be like ensemble, but it's not. It's more or less people who work with us on securing scripts, uh, working with the community, knowing what events that we need to pay attention to within the community and stuff like that, you know, because I think that we want to make sure that as allies, we are putting our best foot forward to make a positive impact and to bring bring the best shows forward. So something that Rick and I read might be like on paper, a very fantastic script, but then we could show it to an individual on our advisory board and have them say, eh, that, that's, um, those ideas are a bit dated. dated. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So it, this brings up my final question, which is the two of you are, I assume, reading a bunch of scripts or constantly reading. It's, you know, you, Rick reads some, Mike reads some, you bring one to the other and say, have you listened to this? But Have you tried this? And then now you'll also be able to share those with a, a group of others mm-hmm. who will give you feedback. Is that accurate? 
Yes. I've sort of, in this first wave, I was sort of the first line of defense. I, if I liked the script that I was recommended or found myself, I would read it. And if I liked it, then I'd pass it along to Rick mm-hmm. as the second layer. Gotcha. But yeah, I think as we move forward, what we're hoping to do is maybe do a, like a stage reading series, have a person on our advisory board curate a series where they're bringing scripts to the table. Mm-hmm. And we're bringing in new young people to read these scripts uh, on stage, and that will give them the ability to to give them some visibility and also bring them into the company so they could see what we're about and it'll give us an opportunity to maybe develop some scripts that we're interested in pursuing. So I was just going to ask you, do you have like a base of operations with like, do you meet at the alleyway or at, at Mike's house or at Rick's or, or is there, is there a place? I have a giant whiteboard in my, uh, my living room right now. It's like a war room. There you with, go. Um, there you go. The next, the next three years planned out. So that's, <laughs> uh, and that was my last question to you, which is what do you foresee the future programming to be? Do you plan to do three shows a year, four shows a year? Is it going to vary? Right now we have, we have, it's, it's a, it's a three slot season. So there's a fall, a spring, and then a summer show. Gotcha. And I think B-Way has a long-standing tradition of like a summer camp show that like Jimmy Janowski and his troupe have, all, have been involved with for a while. We'd mm-hmm. like to continue that. We're also looking at developing other summer um, shows. And then, yeah, for the, the immediate future, I think fall, winter, spring show is where we're going to go until we get a gauge of where the audiences are and opportunities of, of just venues. BUA will be reviving with Alley of the Dolls, loosely inspired by Valley of the Dolls, a adaptation that was written by Jimmy Janowski. It's going to be at One Curtain Up Alley, July 9th through the 31st, Saturdays and Sundays, featuring Jimmy Renee Landrigan, Matt Reformat, Chris Standard, Michael Blaisdell, a.k.a. BB and Mike Seitz, and a couple more. As for the false, we have The Gentleman Caller by Philip Dawkins on tap. It will be directed by James Sahaki, and it's October 28th is our opening night, and that will run Thursday through Saturday for three weeks. And then we are excited to be doing the world premiere production of Mediocre Heterosexual Sex by Madison Wetzel. And that will be in February, March of 2023. And yeah, we're very excited to be doing the first production of a Eugene O'Neill playwrights uh, finalist. Very cool. Mediocre heterosexual sex. The title <laughs> is all you need. Well, you know, when you said it, I couldn't help but laugh. But then I, I, I smothered it because I didn't want to interrupt you. But I thought, yeah, that pretty much, uh, pretty much describes the whole thing. Uh, no, you know, it's interesting not to go off too much of a tangent, but you asked one thing that we're going to do is a lot of the shows are probably going to be in the 18 plus range. I'm not sure, if sure. a lot of theaters are going to always have that, but looking at our season and the future, it's like, it's going to be like 18 plus to get into our shows and, you know, <laughs> you can interpret whatever, whatever you want by that. Right, um, right. But both both plays definitely have their moments. To piggyback off of that briefly, it's it's not meant to we're not trying to be provocative or, oh, this is we're doing this because we're trying to get a rise out of people. It's like, no, this art is out here Mm -hmm. and people consider it in a lot of ways some of this taboo and we're not afraid to 
put it on the stage in front of your face. And, and I think that goes back to Mercury Fur, Mike. Exactly. That's what we're bringing the attitude. Theoretically, it's possible that this constitutes the first announcement of our season, but okay. it, it might not. We're hoping that we have uh, we have the season uh, launched by then, okay. but it's all in the works. This is solidified. So if this is the first announcement of the season, then so be it. No, that No, that's great. You know, Peter, you asked about, you asked a question about artistic directing and I go, I joke around with people who ask me how it goes. I go, it's not as sexy as I think. Like in my mind, it's always like the artistic directors dressed in like, like really attractive, like gowns and tuxedos at the arties, like drinking champagne. But so far it's just been me and Mike, like in like shorts and like t-shirts, like pushing pencils and paperwork. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll share, I'll share with you, Rick. uh, And maybe Mike, I may have already said this to you. To me, being an artistic director is one of the toughest jobs in the world. I cannot imagine the pressure of having to read. I'm not good when I read scripts and try to visualize. And honest to God, I swear this is true. Every play that I thought was going to be a dog was a hit. Yeah. And every play that I thought was going to be a hit was a dog. And so the responsibility of having to put together a whole season and read plays and then have a successful season and have people actually enjoy the, I think it's a tremendous responsibility. So I give the two of you a lot of credit for not telling Javier to go pound salt when he came up to you. You guys must have been a little bit drunk as well. Let's face it. (laughs) I only drink Red Bull at Matt Day. I just want to put that out there. Um, (laughs) No, I will say, I will say this. I, I will agree. You can put this in if you like, I agree with you, Peter. It's like, I am, I think we're both totally prepared for a show that me and Mike love to completely tank. (laughs) <laughs> and like and, and a show that and a show that we like are like iffy about to be like, yes. holy God, how did this become like the darling of the of the theater season? <laughs> I think that's just the way it works. You don't you don't know. I, I think you, you yes, I think you should be prepared to be surprised both ways. But the one thing that we want to push is that, you know, we want we want the people that work for BUA to make the biggest, boldest choices when they're working for us. You know, mm-hmm. I, I joke with Mike. We either when we when I pick up the Buffalo News, I want it to say zero stars or four stars. <laughs> you know, I, I I can't stand the two and a half stars. I can't stand it. It's just talk, like two months. Talk about of work. mediocrity. Talk about two mediocre stars. sex. It's a mediocre no, it's review. I'd rather make a choice that everyone like hates, but it's like one of those, it's like, my God, did you see that? And it like gains an infamy over just like, eh, you know, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's, that's another thing. Better to take a little bit of a gamble and, and uh, it's to, to throw the dice. It's either right. going to come up snake eyes or it's going to come up a seven one way or the other. You're going to be, yeah, no, no, no half measures, no half measures. Well, guys, congratulations on, on all of this. I appreciate you coming on today and talking to me. You answered so many questions that I had when I heard that you two guys were taking over. I thought, okay, great, but why? And now it makes perfect sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me. Cool. And good luck with everything. You're going to need it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye, it. guys. Excellent. Bye. kind of ignorant hatred comes from, but, oh, never mind. Mike Dobin and Rick Latimer, co-executive artistic directors of Buffalo United Artists. Well, that's all we have time for today, folks. I hope that you're all surviving, doing well, staying away from COVID, and, or at least 
protecting yourselves as best you can. Ooh, that organ is dominant, isn't it? I wonder if that's a hint of any kind. Yeah, you ought to know by now that this kind of little teaser for the summer project that I have coming up for you that starts in July. And I thought I'd uh, create a little new music for it to sort of tease you into wondering what the heck's going on. And this time we've had a little bit of guitar, a little bit of a rock sort of guitar in there. Yeah, yeah you can hear it a little bit there. And uh, we'll tell you more about it. This is just a teaser. It's just meant to sort of get you wondering and sort of building suspense. So we'll tell you more about it in a couple of weeks, but until then, this is RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Mm -hmm.